Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Thursday, November 3rd, 2022. It's been 3,172 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 253 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess that so-called evacuations in Kherson have taken a dark turn and appear to be an organized genocide against the Ukrainian people. Second, we maintain that Russian forces will retreat from the west bank of the Dnipro over the next three to seven weeks. Third, We assess terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure will continue across Ukraine. Fourth, our assessment that the Kremlin's announcement that they withdrew from the Ukrainian grain shipment deal would backfire spectacularly was accurate, with the Kremlin announcing it had rejoined the pact. Fifth, we maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. Sixth, we maintain that although the weather has improved in central and western Ukraine, Rasputitsa will continue to slow down combat operations for both belligerents. Seventh, we maintain that Russia's baseless accusation that Ukraine is preparing to use an improvised nuclear weapon as part of a broader disinformation campaign has faded from the news cycle. Eighth, We maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. Ninth, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat-destroyed and is incapable of mounting successful offensive operations. Tenth, we maintain that the mobilization of 300,000 troops has not improved Russian combat strength and exposed the training, logistical, and supply problems within the Russian Federation. On top of that, the pneumobics are suffering from catastrophic losses. Eleventh, we maintain that Russian forces in Belarus remain a credible threat and that an invasion of western Ukraine is possible in the next 35 to 65 days. And finally, we maintain that Russia's threat to use tactical nuclear weapons on the battlefield is still a remote possibility due to renewed irresponsible language from the Kremlin, despite fresh assurances that they will not use nuclear weapons. Let's go ahead and get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. If today's report had a theme, it would be the second verse is the same as the first. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, 
and the Operational Command South, or OCS, did not release specific information on fighting west of the Dnipro. The Russian Ministry of Defense reported continued fighting near Ishenka, Borosensk, Pyatikhatki, and Sukhanova. There was no change in the situation. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian positions in Ternovipodi were shelled. We maintain the area remains a no-man's land. OCS reported the Ukrainian Air Force completed one airstrike, while ground forces executed 150 fire missions. Ammunition depots were targeted in the Bereslav and Bashtan rayons. Ukrainian forces dramatically increased the number of HIMARS strikes along the Dnipro River. Near Chernobyevka, six railcars holding fuel were destroyed. In Novokakhovka, a Russian convoy was struck while crossing the dam using the temporary gravel crossing. Two massive fires were on both sides of the spillway with secondary explosions. The dam and the hydroelectric plant were not targeted, based on geolocation information. The ferry staging area near the disabled Antonovsky Bridge in Kherson was hit by at least six rockets fired by HIMARS. Six hours later, the area was attacked a second time. Russian sources continue to make exaggerated claims about the ability to shoot down M-30 and M-31 rockets, while video and picture evidence disagree, showing repeated successful strikes. Russian sources claimed that the civilian evacuations from the west of the Dnipro were complete and that civilian travel would be restricted. Russian occupation officials stated the ban preventing civilian travel on barges, river taxis, and small boats was total, with no exceptions, but, quote, temporary. Russian troops intentionally sunk pleasure craft at the city piers to ensure compliance by shooting holes through the hulls. After the statement from the Russian-appointed Gauleiter of Occupied Kherson, Vladimir Saldo, almost caused a panic, officials further clarified that civilian companies that transport food and provide support for public utilities will still be allowed to use the ferry crossings. The so-called evacuations look more like ethnic cleansing with each passing day. Russian troops would not allow residents to leave in their vehicles, and they could only take a small suitcase with belongings. Local reports and pictures showed Russian troops gathering left-behind civilian vehicles in Kherson, transporting them to the ferry crossing, and moving them across the Dnipro to the east bank. In the occupied regions, retailers have been barred from selling vodka and other hard liquor to Russian troops. How the decree will be enforced, without acts of violence against shopkeepers and preventing bootleg sales, was unclear. Widespread looting has been reported, and Russian soldiers are now occupying the empty homes and apartments of the people deported en masse. We had previously reported that Russian occupiers were housed in empty civilian homes. Russian troops are reportedly picking the homes and apartments they prefer based on the amenities and furnishings left behind. It is also reported that Russian occupiers are seizing deeds and other land ownership records. Russian forces have started a widespread campaign to destroy cellular communication towers to isolate the population further, block communications, and potentially hide war crimes. Towers in Ivanivka, Tokarivka, and Novobereslav on the west bank of the Dnipro were destroyed, while a fourth tower in Bereslav was dismantled. In Bereslav and Kozatsky, collaborators, gauleiters, and their families were given preferential treatment and evacuated to Khenichesk, just north of Russian-occupied Crimea. Other residents are reportedly being prevented from leaving. 
On the east bank of the Dnipro, residents in Novosburivka were given a 72-hour mandatory evacuation order, or they will be forcibly removed on November 5th. Residents are required to relocate to the pre-2014 Russian Federation borders, further raising alarm that filtration, child separation, forced conscription, and deportations to eastern Russia will occur. In Hornostaivka, forced removals of civilians started on October 31st, and the hospital was looted. Looting of medical equipment and ambulances started in Holopristan, where forced removals of civilians also started. In the same town, prefabricated concrete pillboxes, which are defensive positions for light weapons such as machine guns, arrived, and Russian forces started building defensive fortifications throughout the town. In Kohovka, there were similar reports that Russian forces were building complex and extensive defenses within the urban areas of the town. Russian psychological operation vehicles drove through the streets announcing mandatory civilian evacuations. Some assessment here. The Russian Federation has likely started a replacement campaign. Ethnic Ukrainians, even those in favor of Russian occupation, are being deported to be replaced by Russian nationals. Russia did this in Crimea and the original Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republic to create a false narrative of a local population wanting to be part of Russia. The forced evacuations continue to expand east and north and now include parts of the Zaporizhia Oblast. Think about this and think about this really carefully. The destruction of religious institutions, statues and artwork, and preventing civilians from taking personal property is a glowing red warning light from history. The ethnic cleansing is being done legally in the eyes of the Russian Federation, which illegally and falsely annexed Kherson, Zaporizhia, Donetsk, and Luhansk. Under the declaration of martial law in the occupied territories, the confiscation of homes, personal property, businesses, and land is justified as the required nationalization of property to defend the territory of Russia. This is the most significant forced relocation and wide-scale act of ethnic cleansing since the siege of Mariupol. Our confidence that Russian troops will withdraw from the east of the Inulets River and turn Kherson into a fortress is waning. The full intent of Russian troops remains unclear, as the destruction of cell towers, the looting of hospitals, and the theft of critical infrastructure such as fire trucks and ambulances will negatively impact occupation forces, too. Additionally, the removal of civilians and the announcement that civilians will no longer be allowed to cross the Dnipro may have caused an increase in attacks on river crossing points and the renewed strikes at the Novokakhovka Dam. In Mykolaiv, up to 60 Russian soldiers were killed in occupied Pershotravneve. There were no details on if the attack was carried out by airstrike, rockets fired by HIMARS, or artillery. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and Zaporizhia. The geopolitical situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant has deteriorated significantly. The puppet mayor of Anerkhodar, Alexander Volga, reported that control of ZNPP was moving to Rosatom, and Ukrainian Energoatom employees have been forced to work for Moscow. This is in direct defiance of the United Nations and the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, which has repeatedly said that transferring plant control to Russia would violate the core principles of nuclear safety. Volga reported that reactors 5 and 6 are in a hot shutdown state, 
and Reactor 5 will start producing electricity for the occupied regions and Russian-occupied Crimea next week. He falsely claimed that Ukrainian employees with Energoatom had intentionally disconnected power to the plant before the IAEA's arrival, forcing the reactors to shut down. We have previously reported and shared IAEA statements that some power disconnections were caused by Russian missile and drone strikes targeting the Ukrainian electrical grid, which knocked out connection far from Enerhodar on the 330 kilovolt transmission circuits. The IAEA had not released a statement at the time of recording. The Russian Ministry of Defense made renewed claims for the second day in a row that Ukrainian forces shelled the area around ZNPP. Did they have evidence? No. No, they did not. And Volga did not mention any active shelling in the interview he gave today. Just a quick editor's note here. If you're going to communicate fan fiction propaganda, at least get your story straight. We have some breaking news for you. As we were completing the situation report, Enerhoatom reported that Russian shelling damaged both 330 kilovolt high-voltage power lines to ZNPP, cutting off all power to the plant. Operators are bringing reactors 5 and 6 to a cold shutdown state, and the plant has been forced to operate using diesel generators. Initially, all 20 generators were triggered when power was lost at 23.04 local time. Plant engineers have stabilized the situation, with nine generators running. The power plant has enough diesel to operate off the grid for 15 days. Enerhoatom officials reported that Russian employees of Rosatom interfered with managing the situation. Heavy shelling, rocket, and drone attacks continued across the Dnipropetrovsk Oblast. Nikopol and Marchanets were struck by grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS. A gas station was destroyed in Nikopol, with private homes, a college, a furniture factory, and an industrial area damaged. In Marchanets, power was knocked out to a thousand households. An Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drone targeted electrical infrastructure and the city water system in Krividi. The attack knocked out electrical, water, and sewer service in parts of the city. Ethnic cleansing and forced deportations expanded to Zaporizhia, with the residents of Velikaznamyanka being removed. In Russian-occupied Vasilivka, up to 50 Russian troops were killed or wounded in an attack launched by Ukraine. In Russian-occupied Melitopol, rockets fired by HIMARS struck the Refma plant, which had been converted into the headquarters for Russian forces and a logistics hub. The installation is reportedly completely destroyed. Russian puppet leader of Melitopol, Vladimir Ragov, confirmed the attack, saying that six, quote, power explosions rang out, end quote. There are reports of wide-scale looting by Russian forces in Melitopol, using martial law as justification. In Kirilivka, on the shores of the Azov Sea, Russian soldiers are looting vital military equipment, including heaters, air conditioners, and household appliances. Russian leadership did not indicate the specific threat appliances made, but apparently it was serious enough to move them through filtration, deportation, and relocation to Russia. There was only sporadic artillery fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola, to Orihiv, to Shirbaki. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southwest Donetsk. Russian forces continued their offensive operations in the Vulidar area, 
with significant fighting from Novomayorsk to Mikilsk. Ukrainian forces continued to repel Russian advances on Prechistivka. Russian mill bloggers are walking back earlier claims that Russian troops were finishing the, quote, cleansing of Pavlivka, claiming the offensive has slowed down due to the arrival of Ukrainian reinforcements. Videos showed that the line of conflict is further south than what has been reported by Russian sources. It also showed that Russian armor was involved in the attack, contrary to earlier reports from Ukrainian sources. Watch the video. We link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. Fighting remained intense, according to both belligerents. Ukrainian forces continue to hold defensive positions along the Kashlehach River, with Russian sources reporting that the bridgehead was attacked. The GSAFU reported that infrastructure in Vuladar was attacked and damaged by an Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drone. Fighting on the eastern edge of Novobakhmutivka continued, with no change in the situation. Earlier reports from Ukrainian sources about gains by the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, into Marinka were overstated. A video from November 1st showed Russian Su-25 aircraft attacking Ukrainian positions in the residential quarter of the town. This helped confirm the location of Ukrainian troops and added additional data that Russian forces would be at least 750 to 1,000 meters away from the targeted area. We updated the map to move the gray area back to its October 31st position. Fighting continued near Nevelske, and attempts by DNR troops to advance on Pervomaiske remained unsuccessful. Ukrainian forces continued to hold defensive lines in Vodyana. The People's Militia of the DNR Public Relations Channel claimed their forces destroyed one main battle tank and six, quote, armored and automotive vehicles, once again without any evidence. They provided no evidence. No evidence at all. The PR channel showed artillery units firing on Avdivka. Ukrainian forces completed 210 fire missions in the occupied territories. Videos on social media showed the Leninsky and Kirovsky districts in the city of Donetsk were shelled. Long lines to leave the DNR continued at the Uspenka border crossing into Russia, Pictures and videos showed cars and trucks stuck in traffic that extended up to six kilometers. The Russian Federation had previously promised that customs and border-crossing security across the pre-2014 border would be removed as part of the illegal annexation the Duma ratified on October 4th. With the Kerch Bridge still disabled, the Russian MOD has turned Mariupol into a military logistics center. Partisans continue to share pictures and videos of Russian military equipment and troops moving in and out of the city, with most reportedly heading in the direction of Manush. The only functioning bridge between the left and right banks of the Kalmyus is closed for hours at a time to civilian and commercial traffic, contributing to the gnarly traffic situation. The Russian occupiers' promise to restore trolley service in the shattered city by the end of 2022 has been broken, with no work done. The trolley barn was about two kilometers northeast of the Azovsal metallurgical plant. It was the scene of intense fighting through the end of April, and no effort has been made to clear debris, let alone start repairs. In northeast Donetsk, Russian and Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting on the eastern outskirts of Bakhmut, with no change in the situation. A recent video showed a Ukrainian T-64 tank 
destroying a Russian BMP infantry fighting vehicle at point-blank range. Private military company or PMC Wagner Group's attempt to bypass Solidar through Yakovlivka failed. Fighting continued near Mayorsk, with Russian forces remaining unsuccessful. Fighting also continued on the Donetsk-Luhansk administrative border near Spirne, led by PMC Wagner. The Second Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, made another attempt to advance into Verknokomyanskia without success. In Luhansk, fighting continued along the entire line of conflict from the Kharkiv-Luhansk administrative border to Bilohorivka in Luhansk Oblast, with only minor changes to the line of conflict. Russian sources reported fighting in Kuzimivka on the P-7 highway 12 kilometers from Svatov. Northwest and west of Kremina, fighting was reported near Makayivka, Nevske, Ploshanka, and Chervonopopivka. Attacks on Ukrainian positions in Bilohorivka, the same one, continued without a change in the situation. In Severodonetsk, Russian troops staying in a retail and commercial building had a close encounter of the worst kind with rockets fired by HIMARS. And by that, I mean the building was hit. By rockets. Fired by HIMARS. A note from our map editor, our situation report readers have likely noticed that the line of conflict has been slowly moving east over the last two weeks. We continue to make adjustments based on reports mostly from Russian sources, which indicate Ukrainian forces are advancing 250 to 500 meters a day on a broad front. Progress is notable, but not enough to show advances using arrows and battle notation. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to the Kharkiv region. Russian sources reported continued fighting east of Kupyansk on the Kharkiv-Luhansk border. Ukrainian troops continued attempts to advance on Mykolaivka, Orlyansk, and Yehidne. There weren't any supporting reports from Ukrainian sources, although operational security has been very tight for most fighting east of the Oskil River. Based on the reports, we adjusted the line of conflict further east. In the Cherniev and Sumy region, Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported almost 100 shells, Mortars and grad rockets struck the Hromadas of Shalakhin, Esmen, Miropilia, Velika Pisarivka, Yunakivka, and Seredina Buda. Over 140 artillery shells and mortars were fired from across the Russian border. Homes and dachas were damaged in Miropilia, which was hit by 62 of those artillery shells. In Esmen, there was a border skirmish with the Ukrainian Territorial Guard and Russian troops exchanging machine gun fire and rocket-propelled grenades. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. The United States government accused North Korea of secretly providing Russia with artillery shells and other military equipment. United States National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby said, quote, Our indications are that the DPRK is covertly supplying and we are going to monitor to see whether the shipments are received. End quote. It wasn't clear how much munitions were covertly being transferred, 
but Kirby said the volume wasn't enough to shift the balance of power in Ukraine. Greek President Katerina Sakelaropoulou and Nikolaos Panayotopoulos, Greek defense minister, are in Kyiv for an official visit. The first batch of Greek BMP-1 infantry fighting vehicles has arrived in Ukraine. The IFVs were swapped in a three-nation deal with Germany, which provided Greece with German martyr IFVs. Russian President Vladimir Putin continued his game of good cop-bad cop with Dmitry Medvedev, deputy chairman of the Security Council of the Russian Federation. The day after Medvedev threatened to use nuclear weapons, Putin appeared to walk back the rhetoric. Through the foreign ministry, the Kremlin stated, quote, Russia is strictly and consistently guided by the tenet that a nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought, end quote. The New York Times reported that Kremlin leaders held discussions in mid-October on how and when they might use nuclear weapons in Ukraine. The information was inaccurately reported as a, quote, intelligence report when the conclusion was made through analysis. Never missing a chance to be ironic, Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov dismissed the report as, quote, purposeful pumping of nuclear weapons rhetoric and said it would be, quote, very, very irresponsible to talk about the intention of using nuclear weapons. He said that with a straight face. May I remind you that Medvedev triggered the latest don't-make-us-nuke-you rhetoric. National Security Council spokesperson Kirby said he couldn't provide, quote, any comment on the particulars of this reporting, end quote, adding the United States has been, quote, clear from the outset that Russia's comments about the potential use of nuclear weapons are deeply concerning and we take them seriously, end quote. Quick sidebar here. See? We told you there was no need to dig a backyard bunker. Again. Russia's withdrawal from the grain shipment deal with Ukraine turned into a political catastrophe after the United Nations, Turkey, and Ukraine made it clear they would defy Russia and continue shipments. After two convoys left Odessa, with a third one planned for Thursday, the Kremlin caved in and announced they rejoined the agreement. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan reported he had a conversation with President Putin, saying, quote, Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu called our National Defense Minister Hulyusia Kar today to say that the exports of grain will continue as they had, end quote. The Kremlin had put itself into an untenable situation by withdrawing from the agreement after the Black Sea Fleet was attacked in its Sevastopol port on October 29th. The Kremlin said they agreed to rejoin after they received a written assurance from Ukraine, signed by Turkey and the United Nations, that the Green Corridor for ships won't be used for military purposes. The Defense Ministry said, quote, the Russian Federation considers that the guarantees received at the moment appear sufficient and resumes the implementation of the agreement. End quote. Ole Nikolenko, the spokesperson for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine, stated that no such guarantee was given or asked for by Turkey or the United Nations. At the time of recording, six more grain ships departed from Ukrainian ports. To quote Charlie Sheen, so much winning. Eight regions of Ukraine are still experiencing significant rolling blackouts after 40% of the nation's electrical infrastructure has been destroyed by repeated missile and drone attacks. 
Cave Ryan and Cave Kharkiv, Cherniv, Cherkasi, Zhitomir, Sumy, and Poltava oblasts remain impacted, and repairs could take, quote, weeks, according to Ukrainian officials. Speaking of impacted, let's talk about Russian mobilization. After announcing an end to mobilization, the Kremlin said President Putin did not need to get a new decree from the Duma to end the partial mobilization. Additionally, Viktor Sobolev, a Duma deputy and member of the Defense Committee, said, quote, I think everything will depend on the military-political situation that will develop in the future. If, as of now, military operations will only be on the territory of Ukraine, I think the mobilization that has taken place will be enough. And if the aggression on the part of Western countries increases efforts against Russia, mobilization will certainly be needed. Then, of course, there will be a new decree. But I think this will not happen. End quote. There were reports across Russia that stealth mobilization was continuing, with people still receiving conscription paperwork. In Batysk, a resident who received paperwork from the commissariat the day after the Kremlin announced mobilization was over went to the office to be sure he wouldn't run afoul of the law. Instead, he was told that he was listed as a volunteer mobic and would be required to report for military duty on November 2nd. In Ulyanovsk, mobics turned into rioters because they weren't being paid as promised. Roskvardia troops had to be deployed to restore order. Mobics were told they would be paid 195,000 rubles and instead have been receiving 2 to 4,000 rubles. One Mobik screamed, quote, Our state refuses to pay us the money which our president Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin promised us. Why then should we go to war for this state, leaving our families without support? End quote. In Chuvashia, Mobiks also turned into rioters after not receiving the 300,000 rubles they were promised. Military leaders addressed the angry Mobiks, declaring, quote, No one promised you anything. Anger boiled over with a lot of blyats, and one person saying, quote, We got forked, that's all. End quote. Quick editor's note. They did not say forked, per se. Mobik pay structure varies between the 85 Russian federal districts, adding even more friction. Hybrid units are already being formed, with 500 to 1,000 Mobiks dying daily. This is putting soldiers from different regions together who experience massive pay disparities. Families in Voronezh also complained about not receiving promised payments. While volunteers were paid earlier in the year, Mobics have not been, and they have not received much in promised military equipment. Similar complaints were raised in Bashkartostan. The self-proclaimed leader of the DNR, Denis Pushalin, admitted that his puppet government is experiencing problems paying troops and supporting their families, declaring, quote, We have a number of such measures for military personnel and their families, but they are extremely insufficient. I consider it fair to bring measures to support those mobilized in the Donetsk People's Republic and their families to Russian standards, end quote. He additionally called for adopting the pay and benefits package proposed by Andrei Turchuk. Turchuk called for standardizing the signing bonus across the federal districts to, quote, at least 195,000 rubles for Mobics and volunteers alike. He also proposed excluding the accrual of interest on principal mortgage debt and consumer loans for those deployed and their families. 
Children of deployed troops should get two free meals a day, which should continue until they graduate primary school if a parent or guardian is killed in action. Children should also get free prescription drugs, and families should get free vouchers to, quote, sanatoriums for family members who lost a breadwinner in the war, including elderly parents and disabled parents of officers. Quick sidebar here. A sanatorium is a sort of hybrid rec center medical resort thing, like a fancy YMCA with bedrooms and nurses. We proposed adding additional federal benefits to veterans, including annual access to state resorts or sanatoriums, free travel, and free access to legal assistance. The problem with this somewhat woke benefits package is neither the Kremlin nor the federal districts can afford it. The Russian government is now hemorrhaging cash, contributing to the pay issues in the first place. Russian military leaders have reopened the penal colony in Perevalsk, Luhansk, to imprison Russian refuseniks and deserters. The prison was opened in the late spring for the same purpose and closed in August when fighting in the Luhansk Oblast wound down. Family members claim that a group of 20 refuseniks was initially convinced to return to the front. Five days later, after harassment by PMC Wagner Group mercenaries, they were told they were being taken for, quote, rehabilitation, and more training, only to be incarcerated in a mold-covered cell with a bucket for a toilet. As always, the beatings will continue until morale improves, and all is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Russian troops intentionally destroyed historic stone crosses with explosives in Olishki, Kherson, on the east side of the Dnipro River. The crosses were on mounds and marked grave sites near a Ukrainian Orthodox church. The intentional destruction of culturally significant locations, including churches and memorials, is considered a war crime. In Enerhodar, Puppet leader Alexander Volga reported that Ukrainian schoolbooks had been replaced by Russian schoolbooks. It has been widely reported that schoolchildren in Ukraine are being radicalized by Russian education programs, denied the ability to speak Ukrainian, and taught revisionist history. The GSAFU accused Russian troops of using schoolchildren as human shields in Svatov. Soldiers are using schools as barracks and to store military equipment while classes continue in the same buildings. Russian troops used the same tactic in Izum, which we documented in previous situation reports using video and picture evidence. Based on past reports, we believe this report has significant weight. Schoolchildren are reportedly forced to attend classes in person, even when shelling is happening. We've kind of already covered all the geopolitical news, so... In economic news, the ruble was unchanged, with an exchange rate of 62 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices were also unchanged, with WTI holding at $88 a barrel and Brent remaining at $94. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline on the spot market climbed to $2.68 a gallon, or $0.71 a liter. EU Dutch TTF natural gas futures climbed another 4% despite high inventory levels, 
reaching 131 euros per megawatt hour for December 2022 contracts. January contracts were up 3%, trading at 137 euros. Chicago SRW wheat futures continued to decline after it became clear that Ukrainian grain shipments would not be disrupted. The price fell to $8.53 a bushel for March 2023 contracts. We've got some breaking news for you. Numerous reports are coming in from the west bank of the Dnipro River from multiple sources that Russian forces are withdrawing en masse from Kherson and that most Russian flags have been taken down. Residents say there are no more Russian troops within Kherson and all checkpoints and roadblocks have been removed. We are somewhat skeptical that a complete withdrawal has occurred due to the reports of artillery exchanges, airstrikes, and fighting on the northern front. However, it appears a significant event is occurring. Russian-installed Kherson administrator Kirill Stremusov urged, quote, all civilians to evacuate, end quote, but then insisted that, quote, everything is under control, end quote, at this moment. Stremusov made the statement from a car packed to the roof with personal belongings. Everything is definitely under control. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.